We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical mental suit, my physical as well as my mental suit fitness. Coffee time. And welcome to the conservative hour of power and enlightenment salon, sponsored by Amokan Coffee Social Club, deep in the heart of Soldatna, which is not Texas, but uh, is still beautiful and a great place to visit. I am your host, Jason Floyd, and I am joined today by co-host Loretta Eaton. And we have a pretty deep bench of guests today, so we're kind of excited about that. Um, We're going to run a little bit longer than our traditional hour, but that's okay. This is the pod universe, and we can do whatever we want to. So um, if you haven't budgeted more than an hour to listen, then maybe, uh, you know, that's a great thing. You can put it on pause and pick it up later. But uh, I'd like to welcome today Jennifer Eastman, uh, who is the wife of District House District 10 Representative David Eastman. And she has some uh, important uh, items to share with us today about COVID and mandates and um, maybe some more. But uh, we're also joined by local community member, club member, and rising star activist uh, April Orth. She also has some important information that she'd like to share about some ongoing uh, legal actions in the whole um, COVID universe, I guess, here in the state and across the nation. So we're pretty excited about that. So the first half hour, we'll be talking with Jennifer, and then April may jump in. Of course, uh, Loretta will join us with her plucky insights and commentary. And uh, towards the last half of the show, or last quarter of the show, we will have, hopefully, Ken Henderson from the Power Team joining us. And for those of you who grew up in the 80s and 90s, you might remember the guys wearing the Zuba pants and the uh, mullet hairstyles who would bend bars of steel with their faces and rip phone books in half and do mighty feats all in the name of uh, evangelism. So um, he was featured on TBN, and I bumped into him a couple of weeks ago, um, actually more than a month ago now, down in Nilchik of all places, had a conversation, said we'd love to, to hear about your travels and your life uh, life story. So Ken will hopefully join us towards the last uh, portion of the show. So as has become a tradition, we have selected two two rules from the book of rules the right way to do everything and this is the author is joshua belter who is a local um he's actually a club member now and um he felt it was important to write down all the rules that are never written down and um today's book of rule reference we're going to start with uh, book of rules rule 12-13 i'm sorry 12-15 sleeping at work although discouraged by many employers the workplace power nap significantly reduces stress and increases the ability to concentrate additionally power naps increase productivity in the second half of the workday to increase the effectiveness power naps should be taken between the fourth and fifth hour of the workday 
Power naps should be taken away from the primary work location and at times of reduced workplace activity. Coworkers shall be conscientious of one another whenever power napping is in progress. And then there's a quick reference here. It says, uh, see Board of Rules at Rule 12-5, which will be the second rule that we read today. And this is the supervisor proximity alert phrase. An effort shall be made to alert coworkers whenever a supervisor is in close proximity. A predetermined, quote, supervisor proximity alert phrase, end quote, shall be established to notify others that management ears may be listening. After hearing the supervisor proximity alert phrase, all small talk and gossip, see Board of Rules 12-13, shall terminate immediately until the all clear sign is given. For example, the coded supervisor proximity alert phrase, pork chops and applesauce, may be utilized to alert employees of an approaching supervisor. A, specific alert phrases should be simple and easy to remember. B, the alert phrase shall be changed within 24 hours if revealed to any member of management. C, changes to the current supervisor proximity alert phrase should be communicated to all employees as soon as practical. So, two more great rules from the rule of books, The Right Way to Do Everything by Joshua Belter uh, for just under five bucks on Amazon, um, which we all hate, but we can't hardly put down um, because we're all addicted to cheap stuff, which may be the demise of our great society, but that's another conversation for another day. All right, so again, um, I am probably going to have to invest in a new piece of hardware. I've got four mics, and two of them we cannot get to run through the interface, so we are sharing one mic among three ladies today, and I would like to welcome Jennifer Eastman. Jennifer, how was your drive down? Oh, it was beautiful this morning, actually. We, it was uh, lovely as we came through to Kenai. Uh, it had rained almost the whole way down, and then sunshine it was of course wonderfully we welcome. actually bottle sunshine here i love it it's it's been too long since i've been been down this direction about five years so i'm happy to be back so um i noticed that uh your husband david is not with you today what's david up to these days well today david is at home watching our four little ones so that i could be down here and uh, spending time with them before he heads back to juno on sunday so on sunday okay yep. Well, um, you have some prepared items for us. I know we talked on the phone yesterday, and uh, you weren't sure you were going to make it, but I'm glad you did. Tell us what you got going on. Sure. So, basically, with uh, I had started a petition group back in May um, opposing any COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Um, my background is in microbiology. And um, when I was, as we were listening to the news over the last year or so about vaccines being developed and they were going to be available by the end of the year, I had made the remark to my husband that um, this, with all of, you know, the turmoil and upset that COVID had caused nationwide and whatnot, that this was going to be a prime opportunity for vaccine mandates to be kind of pushed or trialed and at the time I had told them that I really really hoped I was mistaken on that front but I wouldn't be surprised and um, 
I know the legislature had uh, several bills introduced in this session earlier on, both by Representative Carpenter and um, my husband had put forward some and none of them were really discussed or voted on um, with any effect at the time. And uh, at that point, I became more and more uncomfortable with the environment and the way the narrative on vaccines was kind of going. I was afraid that uh, the mandate was going to start taking hold. So I started a petition group um, called Alaskans Against COVID-19 Vaccine Mandates and uh, started that back in May. And now that they're here and you have cities like New York um, actively promoting or requiring vaccine passports going into effect for indoor dining, recreating, gathering, so on and so forth. Um, you've got the city of Los Angeles or county rather looking at doing the same thing and mandates being rolled out, you know, first in healthcare, military, um, veterans I, affairs. I just heard the uh, day before yesterday that the state of Hawaii uh, and their school districts are now saying that any student that wants to participate in athletics or extracurricular activities must be uh, vaccinated or they can't participate. I hadn't heard that yet, but yeah, it's, yeah. I, that was one of they my just rolled that out. concerns as well is as we, you know, get further along and then when it inevitably will have um, approval for children under the age of 12, like, are, is this going to be a problem we're going to have to face for kids to go back to public school? Are they going to be required to be vaccinated? And this vaccine in and of itself, I'm not opposed to anyone getting the vaccine that wants to, but I think it should be everyone's choice whether or not to do it. Um, and they are relatively new. So I understand people's hesitancy to do it. And mandates at the risk of losing your job or livelihood is just not an okay way to try to convince anybody to do anything. So are you suggesting that the science is not settled? I think there's lots of studies that are still coming out from various different sources. I'm trying personally to keep up with the different studies, and I think, you know, people who want to learn more need to go look at the scientific research for themselves and make their own choice. I mean, there's just a lot coming out. And admittedly, you look at the recommendation pages, and on, you know, when people are looking for certainty on this stuff, even the state's website I was just looking at even says, you know, there's just some things we don't know yet. Everything we say, no so far says that, you know, they're safe in X, Y, and Z fact, but the clinical trials, long-term studies haven't been completed. And, um, you know, we just aren't sure about some of the stuff. It could go well, it could not go well. And so if people have concerns about that, I think they're justified. Well, I read the other day that the state was actually recommending that pregnant women get vaccinated now. I, I saw that too, yeah. and I personally, I, if I was pregnant right now and in healthcare, that would be one of my big concerns, and it sounds like in certain states the way they're interpreting that, I don't know in Alaska, but that's not a medical exemption because it's been you know proven safe, and there are some nurses that are pregnant, and they're saying, hey, I'm going to lose my job because I don't want to get this shot while I'm pregnant. I'm not opposed to getting it once it's FDA approved or after I'm being pregnant, but I'm not going to get it right now. And I mean, for them to lose their job for that, if they're just wanting, you know, another six months or so is just horrible. Hmm. So tell us, how, what kind of traction are you getting with your petition? Well, um, now that kind of mandates seem to be here with South Central Foundation, ANTHC, and their protest last week on Thursday, I went there. There was a huge turnout, which was awesome. About 200, at least 250 people, uh, I believe the counts were. And since that time, uh, we've gone from about 100 petition signatures in the last week to over a little over 600 and growing rapidly. Some days we're getting over 100 signatures. Um, which is great, and I expect it to continue to grow as, you know, people continue to, you know, make make these decisions. And a lot of people are uncomfortable, even people who have been vaccinated 
and obviously, you know, approve and chose to get the vaccine for themselves are opposed to this mandate idea. It's just, I mean. So, so what is the, what, what's your sort of your target number? What, what are you hoping for? What kind of timeline are you on with your petition? I would like to get as many signatures as possible as soon as possible so that we can let the legislature and the governor's office know how big of a concern this is to Alaskans at large so that it doesn't linger um, and, you know, prolong itself. But on that note, I don't have a hard deadline. So even after I send these petitions over to legislature, I'm going to still continue to gather signatures because I think it's very worthwhile to continue to say, hey, you know, it's been two weeks. Guess what? We've got... 100 more people, 200 more people, however many more people that care about this and keep, you know, a constant reminder that there are a lot of people out there that don't want these mandates. So what's your read on the governor? I mean, the the governor has a lot of power. He has a lot of authority. I mean, after all, he has a chief medical officer, Ann Zink, who continues to inform us of all the things that she recommends. Um, what, what, how do you think the governor is going to take this petition or have you, have you presented it to his administration at all or the idea? I have not yet made it, um, to speak with him or his office, so I can't say for sure. And it's kind of hard for me to speculate. I know in the last uh, week he's put out some paper or some positions or articles with Must Read Alaska. And I listened to his interview with, um, Suzanne Downing although it was brief about how he doesn't plan to put out any statewide mandates to that effect, um, but he did not seem certain on what or if any action he would take should there be a federal mandate or something like that, which I don't agree with. I think that there would definitely need to be something done. You know, yesterday we were uh, honored to have Mayor Charlie Pierce in the house, and um, Suzanne Downing came down to interview him and chose our site, which I was grateful for. Suzanne's always been a great supporter of the coffee shop and and now the social club. And um, that was live-streamed on Facebook. If you want to see that, you can go to Must Read Alaska's Facebook page and see that, or you can go to the Ammo Can Coffee Facebook page. I reposted it there. Um, But one of the things that Mayor Pierce was talking about is that there seems to be some kind of, um, he alluded to some kind of written agreement or understanding among health practitioners and pharmacists, a certain group of them, seemingly a majority of them at this point, to not really discuss um, therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine and Regeneron and um, zithromycin and ivermectin and, you know, I mean, the list goes on. And um, that uh, he made a statement about if you want to get those therapeutics, that you actually have to, oftentimes now you have to go out of state to do it, and that there's a doctor or a, a association in Texas that you can do that with. But that, like Walgreens, they won't fill it. They won't fill that prescription. Is there any kind of... Um, idea on the horizon for what to do after this is i would love to see a piece of legislation that compels those those uh those businesses that are federally and state licensed to provide whatever approved uh uh treatment option there is sure at this point i'm focused on this particular kind of narrow focused um project shall we say with um David's uh, current occupation and me being the main caretaker of our four kids at home, my time is limited, but I'm always looking for people to come alongside and help because I think that there are going to be more issues that crop up with this along the line and things that are going to need to be done and addressed. 
I have to I have to pause for a minute because when you said David, I I kind of there was this little painful memory in the back of my head that was jostled because, uh, you know, I I, I went down to uh, to uh, Juno not quite doe-eyed, but um, I think I wasn't really prepared for what I found. But uh, imagine my surprise when these people that I've known for many years and I've known Representative Eastman David uh, through party politics for a number of years. I think I met him when Governor Palin was uh, nominated uh, to be elected for her first and only term and um, at the state convention there. But uh, I got to Juno and I, rep- I, I referred to him in the familiar, you know, David, oh man, apparently there are some people down there that really value their title. And um, they, tie, they value it so much that even if you have a friendship and pre-existing relationship with one of these legislators and you call them in the familiar, that somehow erodes the protocol system. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, what might happen if you started calling your friends by their first names? Pretty soon everybody in that building would be called by their first names, and we couldn't call them the Honorable Senator such-and-such such or thus-and-such and, such and the, the Honorable Representative from District whatever. And... Um, we might actually talk to each other like we're neighbors or something, mm. which would be just dreadful. Well, that might explain why sometimes I get some side glances in the hall because I wasn't aware of that rule, and I talked to people by their names. Well, you know, recently my, my, my daughter married a, a fine young man uh, named uh, Thomas Kirka, which uh, he is one of the younger brothers of Representative Christopher Kirka. And uh, I lived with the Kirkas when I was down in Juneau. We've had close family connection for a long time so i wonder now that i'm kind of an outlaw family member i'm the father-in-law to a kirka if i go back to juno if i can call chris you know by the familiar you should uh, give it a shot see what because we're, we're we're technically that's family right yeah so it's really familiar yeah okay like literally <laughs> yeah literally literally the the science is settled on that <laughs> so um I want to give uh, the other folks here an opportunity to ask you some questions. April, did you have any questions for Jennifer about uh, this effort she's engaged in right now? I did. Um, I wanted to know if you were putting your, um, for people to sign up, where is it? Where can we go? Is it just online or do you have physical copies that you can leave at coffee shops? Or Because I didn't know about it. Um, and I think that's it, is getting the information out there for other people to be able to find it. Absolutely, and thank you very much for asking. Yes, right now we do have it online for signature. I've been promoting it through our Facebook page, which is called Alaskans Against Mandates, and I've been kind of using Facebook was my first means to try to get it out there. Um, it's not, the, the name of the group isn't definitive to what it is because honestly originally when I tried to make a name specific page Facebook wouldn't let me so we um went mother a little, knows best went a little in this uh this other direction as it's kind of more broadly applicable I think to what's going on as well um but I do have hard copy petitions here with me today um Jason has generously agreed to have them out at this coffee shop we've got some other locations that uh, are that's the honorable Mr. Floyd excuse me my apologies <laughs> I will not make that mistake in the future <laughs> especially after or, or we just maybe, had maybe this the, discussion m- maybe the notorious <laughs> 
Um, so those are available here. Um, I also have some with me. I'll be headed out after this um, down with some folks that will be sign waving at uh, the Sterling Highway and Kenai Spur Highway. What and are their signs going to say? Well, people are bringing their own signs. Okay. So I'm not sure. We don't have a definite, definitive, you know, message um, for folks to, to make signs to say ahead of time. Um, so we'll go see what they say here shortly. So there's there's no, like, t- talking points or you must have a sign like this. You can actually you express can your own f- free yeah. will and choose which sign you use? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, creativity. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what I'm down here doing and just trying to promote and get the word out in different ways um, on the um, – the print version of the petitions we've also added a qr code to those so if people who have signed it want to you know take a picture of that and share it with people that way um to try to ease distribution as much as we can but still kind of getting the word out and if anybody would like to take up um getting petition signatures i'm happy to get a pdf of the petition out to folks around um, and they can email our group at against mandates at gmail.com to get that all right. Well, thank you for coming in today, Jennifer. We look forward to uh, folks coming into the club. Now, remember, Amacan Coffee Social Club is a club, so uh, you must be a member to uh, hang out here, but membership is free, relatively painless. You just have to agree with us on three uh, guiding principles and our mission statement, which basically is to promote the Judeo-Christian Foundation of United States and to provide a comfortable, respectful environment for um, promoting the conservative contemporary culture and um, for building faith, family, friendship, and knowledge. And the podcast is part of our effort to do those things, to build community, to get to know each other, to build knowledge, and uh, to have a great cup of coffee while we're doing it. So our best wishes to you, Jennifer, and your efforts. Uh, Tell David, hello for me uh, when you have a chance, and um, we really appreciate the hard work that he does. Um, you know, one of the things that became apparent when I was down there was that there are not a lot of people like David Eastman, and we need to have a lot more people like David Eastman. Yes. And uh, oftentimes the left and the mainstream media like to lodge, uh, launch missiles at him. But fortunately, he was in the Air Force, so he knows how to dodge missiles. He's got a very sharp mind. And um, along with uh, Senator Mike Schauer, also a Air Force veteran um, and fighter pilot, you know, they're a dynamic team down there. Uh, while they may be in the minority for people speaking with clear minds and uh, uh, following the right side of politics, um, they're awesome. We need to give them our support. And we need to encourage our friends and neighbors. And dare I say, some of us need to actually step up. And be willing to take the hits and go serve alongside them. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Jason. We wish you uh, safe and speedy travels. We'll let you go now. And um, I do want to take this opportunity to let folks know that there was a meeting here last week. Um, and there will be a group that will be going down and waving signs. I believe it's on the 28th. Um, and this, it, again, it's a, it is a continuation of what started in Anchorage. Um, protesting the forced uh, vaccination of employees and um, government workers and in the very near, fu- near, very near future you and me if we don't stand up now 
and say, this is the line. We firmly draw it. You must not cross it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. So um, we will transition now over to April. April, if you want to take command of the uh, the microphone there uh, and uh, still maintain a comfortable working distance from Loretta. Um, Loretta is is uh, when we've got this this big of a panel. You Loretta does a lot of head shaking, but she's not saying a lot of things. <laughs> Typically, she speaks I quite them, often. I, I let them have the mic. Hey, <laughs> you know. So um, why don't you go ahead and remove or move to that seat over there, and that way you're a little bit closer to each other. And for those of you who can't see the studio, our studio is located right smack in the middle of the stage at the Amokan Coffee Social Club on the Spur Highway in Soldotna across from the Best Western. And we do this uh, every Saturday unless our schedule doesn't permit it, and then we'll go ahead and record it at a different time. But we try to keep our time period to uh, between 11 and 12. So if you're in the area, you want a tasty cup of coffee and breakfast, we have that available for you here at the coffee shop, and you can come observe the um, podcast in the making. And then Loretta is... um, leading up a effort called the Enlightenment Salon. So that's the last half of our uh, title for the show. And really what the Enlightenment Salon is meant to be is an opportunity for continued conversation after the podcast and potentially some uh, other scheduled meetings and things. Loretta, you want to talk real briefly about that and sort of where we're progressing. I'm seeing more people actually in the living room now yeah, on Saturdays. There, it's, it's pretty cool. More and more. And as we know, it's there's stuff we should not say in a public forum. And I think we all are starting to realize that just as, you know, David Eastman's wife said that she couldn't even, you know, on her Facebook page, she couldn't even use the title she wanted well, to. Well, according to the censors. But that's what I mean. We, we must and, not and say, right? Hey, Jason, your podcasts is one day going to catch the eye of the censor, and then they're going to go back 10 years. And then I'll have something to complain about. (laughs) Yeah. But, hey, you know, I I just think something off the air where we sit around and talk about these ideas, I think it's needed, and I've actually got a little list of people, and one day we will get it up and running, probably after summer's over, though. So to sort of front load this April, thank you, Loretta, uh, to front load this next uh, segment, I want to read a little bit of text here. Um, I'm pulling this from uh, Marshall uh, University, and Uh it is on the Nuremberg Code. In parens, it says, Directives for Human Experimentation. And it says, The Nuremberg Military Tribunal's decision in the case of the United States versus Carl Brandt et al., includes what is now called the Nuremberg Code, a 10-point statement uh, delimiting permissible medical experimentation on human subjects. According to this statement, human experimentation is justified only if its results benefit society and it is carried out in accord with basic principles that quote-unquote satisfy moral, ethical, and legal concepts. To some extent, the Nuremberg Code has been superseded by the Declaration of Helsinki as a guide for human experimentation. Quote, medical, or I'm sorry, permissible medical experiments, end quote, trials of war criminals before the Nuremberg military tribunals under 
Control Council Law Number 10, Nuremberg, October 1946 through April 1949, Washington, U.S. Government Printing Office. So this comes directly from uh, the code as it was printed by the U.S. Government Printing Office. Um, if you're looking for the reference yourself, you can go to the website for Marshall University, which is just www.marshall.edu, and then search for the Nuremberg Code, or you can go to the actual U.S. government uh, reference. I'm going to go ahead and read these 10 points, and then we'll launch into what you have. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. It's a little lengthy, but I think it's very important to stage the conversation, to, to create a foundation for the conversation. Number one out of ten, the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him to make an understanding and enlightened decision. Correct. This latter element requires that before the acceptance of an affirmative decision by the experimental subject there should be made known to him the nature, duration, and purpose of the experiment, the method and means by which it is to be conducted, all inconveniences and hazards reasonably to be expected, and the effects upon his health or person which may possibly come from his participation in the experiment. The duty and responsibility for ascertaining the quality of the consent rests upon each individual who initiates, directs, or engages in the experiment. It is a personal duty and responsibility which may not be delegated to another with impunity. So that's number one. That's the longest of them. Number two says the experiment should be such as to yield fruitful results for the good of society, unprocurable by other means or means of study, and not random and unnecessary in nature. Number three, the experiment should be so designed and based on the results of animal experimentation and a knowledge of the natural history of the disease or other problem under study that the anticipated results will justify the performance of the experiment. Number four, the experiment should be so conducted as to avoid all unnecessary physical and mental suffering and injury. I mean, there's a whole show on that, mental suffering and injury. No experiment, number five, no experiment should be conducted where there is a priori reason to believe that death or disabling injury will occur, except perhaps in those experiments where the experimental physicians also serve as subjects. Number six, the degree of risk. Wait, I want to go back to that. Be interesting to find out if all these doctors that we're seeing have all submitted themselves to the vaccine as well. 
because we hear a lot of people talking about getting the vaccine, but then we see videos of, you know, shots being shot out the window. And, you know, um, I think that was the Anthony Hopkins uh, uh, shot, you know, when Sir Anthony Hopkins got his vaccine. Um, do you have I, a comment? Well, it's just that we don't know that. And we also don't know if they're using therapeutics. We know nothing about or our leaders. Maybe there's a placebo, a placebo in the syringe. We, we know nothing. We just rely on them. And in, uh, you know, you talked about no uh, suffering and death. And what is the VAERS? You know, what is that? I would really like to see that if they're going to mandate or force people to take these vaccinations, that every person that uh, is responsible for that, they give us a blood test to prove that they have the spike proteins in their body. That's the only way to prove that they took these, uh, these vaccinations. It's not a vaccination, it's a shot. It meets none of the requirements for a vaccination. It doesn't prevent and it doesn't diagnose. Well, let's move on to number six. Uh, we're halfway through. There's 10 points. Number six, the degree of risk to be taken shall never exceed that determined by the humanitarian importance of the problem to be solved by the experiment. Number seven, uh, so I guess that would be, you know, if we saw half a million people die in the first month of COVID, maybe they might have greater justification for what they've rolled out, but we didn't see that, and we've yet to see that. Number seven, proper preparation should be made and adequate facilities provided to protect the experimental subject against even remote possibility of injury, disability, or death. So after you get the shot, what do they do? They kick you out the door and say, next. Mm -hmm. There's no observation. No. There's no, there's no uh, scientific um, yeah. uh, data collection until maybe you're dead or your hands don't work anymore and, or and with them absolving the vaccine companies of any responsibility there's uh fundraiser after fundraiser after fundraiser of people that have suffered these adverse effects and there's a lot of stuff that medical insurance does not cover because sometimes they send you home you know and say you deal with it and we're not seeing that we're not seeing anyone step up and say hey you know Maybe we should make someone responsible. Well, I've, I've posed the question and challenged before that, uh, you know, these companies now that are mandating that their employees be vaccinated, um, how many of them do you suppose would actually carry through that uh, with that policy if there was a defined legal liability for adverse reactions to their employees that was incumbent uh, uh, placed upon them? to cover that liability so yeah but osha just took that away right right o osha but, took that away but they so made, so, so the so the question the is, i mean we we have yeah. we have removed any kind it's almost like any the election liability. this last year yeah. where where we removed all the safeguards that protected us from fraud well in this case we are systematically seeing the removal of the safeguards that protect us from this very type of experimentation that that the Nuremberg trials were addressing the the Nazis used human test subjects for all sorts of heinous things and with no moral or ethical regard for that that individual human life and justified it all away by saying this is for the greater good and really for strengthening our troops in the field and with with no other consideration for 
the families or the communities or the entire cultures that they were destroying. So, uh, number eight, the experiment should be conducted only by scientifically qualified persons. The highest degree of skill and care should be required through all stages of the experiment of those who conduct or engage in the experiment. Now, I would like to dial down in this real quick. When I was in Juneau, we were required to get tested twice a week. Mm-hmm by Beacon employees, by paraprofessionals at best. Mm -hmm. And and I've said it before, I was harmed in that process. You know, they jabbed me bad enough that I had a bloody nose every morning for weeks after one of my initial tests. That was not conducted by a doctor. That was not conducted by a registered nurse or a CRNA or anybody who had gone through you know, uh, extensive training to perform the procedure, and that's what they were doing. They were performing a procedure Seizure. on me as part of this greater experiment. But they're not even taking general care because they, you know, these are uh, nice people at Walmart, like the pharmacists at Walmart, but they're giving you the vaccine. They're not asking what other problems you have, what other medications you take. There's no basic... Uh, you, you know, considering this is so new and, and the VARES, mm-hmm. there's so much um, uh, bad stuff being yeah. reported. Now, the, the VARES is the reporting system, the, the virus uh, adverse, adverse reporting effect revor- uh, reporting system that the CDC has put out, which, by the way, there was a uh, study done by Harvard, I believe, that had showed, shown, and this was a number of months ago now, that showed that the, the VAERS system was only collecting what they estimated to be around 10% yeah. of the actual adverse effects. And at that time, I had found there were over 4,000 deaths. I, April, do you know what that number is at There's now? There's a VAERS whistleblower who collected data from 11 different sites. They, they yeah, separate the data out so that it is not shocking on any one level. And a whistleblower came forward and testified under oath that there have been over 45,000 deaths to date attributed to the vaccine. In the U.S.? In the U.S. 45,000 deaths. Yes. So, you know, that's that's kind of disturbing. And um, we'll move on to this so we can move on to your documentation there. I I wanted to point out, too, that's only 45 that they're they're attributing to the vaccine because they, they really couldn't deny it. But there are more that are happening a little ways down the road that they can attribute to other things. But the consistency of seeing the same symptoms or the same diagnoses after a vaccine three, four, six months down the road, when you have mass numbers, um, eventually I think that those will also be, they'll walk those back and look at them as possible deaths from the vaccine. Now, number nine, I'm actually thinking of printing this up and putting it on my uh, my door and my window here at the shop, my door at home, and say, uh, so this is during the course of the experiment, the human subject should be at liberty to bring the experiment to an end if he has reached the physical or mental state where continuation of the experiment seems to him to be impossible. I want to call it to an end. Yes. I want it to end. I do not want to continue to be part of this experiment. And that's when it will end. It will end when we stand up and we say, this stops here, this stops now. I'm not going to participate in whatever you've got going on, whatever delusion you live under that 
I mean, you can you can read information about asymptomatic people that are asymptomatic or not carrier do not transmit the illness. Symptomatic does. I just read that. Fauci himself said that masks don't work. Whatever they're reading, they need to d- read a different book. You know. The final item here, number ten, says during the course of the experiment, the scientist in charge must be prepared to terminate the experiment at any stage. If he has probable cause to believe in the exercise of the good faith, superior skill, and careful judgment required by him, that a continuation of the experiment is likely to result in injury, disability, or death to the experimental subject. So with all the data that's out there, you know, I, I'm, I am very, very concerned about this. Now, let me be clear, because everybody likes to say that these days Mm -hmm. because I guess our our initial statement is not clear enough sure (laughs) let me be clear if you decide that you would like to take a vaccine or an experimental drug or an experimental procedure I believe that it is incumbent upon the individual to do their own research but also to have complete control and freedom to engage in that treatment so long as that treatment does not harm any other individual or the community around them so there's been some conversation and rumors and things that i've heard people saying well you know that that there's this shedding that goes on and that of spike proteins and that when the shedding occurs that it causes other people who are sensitive to such things to get sick. And I don't know whether that's the case or not. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a molecular biologist or virologist. You know, I'm, I'm just a guy that makes coffee and wants to raise my family in relative peace. And, um, but I do know that I want to have the choice. And I don't want somebody in Washington, D.C., or Juneau, or City Hall, or my next-door neighbor, or the business down the street that holds different values than I do, to tell me what I have to do. Mm-hmm. It's anti-American, and it's anti-freedom, it's anti-liberty. And it's the type of actions that led to a number of Nazi doctors being executed upon their final... Uh, adjudication at the Nuremberg trials and that was under these codes these codes were established as standards going forward that would hopefully guide medical experimentation in a way that recognized the individual um, autonomy and sovereignty of of the individual person over the government and anything that they would like to do so with that April I'd like to launch into what you've prepared and brought for us today well, um, I got into this. I was led into this. Um, it's not was not my nature to jump in with both feet um, dealing with uh, the school board. Um, and I have been fighting uh, about this vaccine and about um, people becoming educated about COVID and what they can do to mitigate uh, the dangers without a lockdown or a shot. Um, so I did an extensive amount of research, I, and I found other avenues. But anecdotally, I'm a mom who had children who could not be vaccinated. I'm a mom who had children who could not take over-the-counter medication because it would send them to the hospital, antihistamines. 
And so I always had to do a great deal of research for the health and well-being of my own children. And I think that everyone should do that even if they can take a, a vaccine or a shot. Or We've just become very, very lazy as Americans. And um, we've given our will and, and, and our power and our judgment over to the powers to be to make these decisions for us. And, and we're seeing right now that they may not have our best interest in mind or in heart. So um, in doing this, I found that um, to mitigate any problems in our family, I discovered the frontline doctors who were fighting frontline for the American people and their health. And um, we were able to contact them and find that it was very easy to get prophylactics and that our state would not provide them. So that's a word that maybe some people are unfamiliar with prophylactics. <laughs> okay, um, we got things that you could use to prevent you from getting uh, antivirals. Yeah, um, and that was hydroxychloroquine, and that was um, ivermectin, and um, I don't mind that people might not disagree with me, but at least look up the studies and find that these doctors are 100% are successful, and the current modes of treatment that are being used in our hospital are not no. so who do you believe that's fact well and I'm, I'm going to put us on pause real quick because one of the things we do in the show because we want to promote the english language and people's knowledge of words because words are power and the more words you know and the better you can more informed use of those words yeah can give you more power yes. it actually can help you remain free so the word prophylactic according to miriam webster online dictionary is as used as an adjective, guarding from or preventing the spread or occurrence of disease or infection. Number two, tending to prevent or ward off. It's preventative. When I was a 4-H agent working for the university, uh, one of the things we talked about 4-H programming was that it was prophylactic in nature. It, we, I had one professor who called it sneaky prophylactic education. Basically, teaching kids skills and the and critical thinking mm -hmm. uh, uh, skills and decision making and uh, ability, so that they could make better choices, informed yes. decisions, and evaluate the risk benefit nature of those choices, and in doing so, end up with healthier outcomes. So, uh, prophylactic, folks. That's the definition. And um, I'm going to go ahead and read one more thing. It says a, a, there's a prophylactic device. So this is a, a device and especially uh, so. <laughs> Do we um, want to go A there? condom yeah. would be considered yeah. a prophylactic uh, for preventing venereal infection or conception, pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So that's another common use of the word prophylactic. So while many people's minds might go immediately to sort of... Uh, birth control it's 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 a much broader uh, there's a much broader much use broader. of that term yeah. and, yes. and in this current issue you know prophylactic is is important when we talk about mm -hmm. hydroxychloroquine and or ivermectin or this new thing regeneron i i've i've only briefly heard about it and people are saying why doesn't anybody know about regeneron but anyway um because it was i did hear about it when they were doing they were starting to bring that out and it kind of got squashed Early on, um, I hear Regeneron, and I think adamantium. 
you know, that, that, that metal <laughs> yeah. that they oh, put yeah. into Wolverine's bones. Oh, you know, yeah. I hear Regeneron oh, is like Regenerons. the X-Men have created a cure <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> yeah. for COVID. Yeah. So anyway, all right, so moving on. So anyway, in my research, um, I found that we did have things that we could use that were very, very effective, and it was, it was proactive. What has happened um, with this is people are very fearful. Many of my friends are fearful, and they've received enough um, bombardment that um, they don't trust their own instincts, and, and it's very, very scary to see that. Um, I want to point out also that um, the shot that they're giving people is not, by any means, does not legally qualify as a vaccine. It doesn't heal, it doesn't cure, it doesn't, does not diagnose. And there's a standard that you have to legally go by. It's a shot that's being handed out to everybody with um, incredible, incredible long, no, no known long-term effects. So basically we are the, we are the pull of, um, sci of, of lab rats right now. I just, we are lab I, rats. I just had an idea. I had an, a stellar idea. So in any good study, there's a control group, mm -hmm. right? I demand to be recognized as one of the control. Oh, the control group. Uh, so, so in this case, we have the control group of the people who have not been uh, exposed to COVID or have not contracted it. Then we have those folks who have contracted it but didn't take the vaccine. Then we have those folks who haven't contracted it but took the vaccine. Then we have the folks that took the vaccine and now have contracted it. So yeah. there's all kinds mm -hmm. of uh, yeah. different variants and variables out there. I want to be part of the control group of the people who already contracted it but is not taking the vaccine. Yeah, but you, and you, they can they yeah. can study me no. longitudinally. No. They can they can make me part of a large cohort. No. And I'm more than yeah. happy to tell them how I'm feeling yeah. on a weekly or monthly basis, yeah. you know, yeah. just you, so long as they leave me the heck alone. No, but you, you missed the fact that they do not want a control group no. because the ones that they originally tested the vaccine on, and I don't know if everybody knows this, but after the, you know, the two arms of the, the vaccine, they offered the vaccine to the second unvaccinated uh, group. So we have no idea if there's any difference. So the original group Control. of people yeah it was is gone and it was deliberately done and they don't want unvaccinated people running around because they do not want first of all tell me how you know that the delta variant is is uh just is terrible how do how do we know that how they can't even they won't even test for it because it's too expensive yeah but they they don't know they don't know they and they're just assuming that if you have been vaccinated and you get the so-called delta variant and you don't get a sick oh, well look at work no we don't know it, it isn't it ironic that uh they don't want a control group but they want all the control yeah but that's what tyrants do they um they're preparing for another var variant to come out i just read it yesterday um but it's another control and scare issue so i want to read something here um so the dhs secretary can issue and maintain the vaccine eaus only if they are effective in diagnosing treating and preventing the disease these are not and have proven not to be. Centers of D Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, data shows that the vaccines are not effective in treating or preventing SARS-CoV-2 or so, uh, COVID-19. Deaths from the COVID-19, those who have received the recommended dosage for the vaccine, increased from 160 as of April 30th, 2021 to 531. 
535 as of June 1st, 2021. Further, a total of 10,000 uh, 10,262 SARS-CoV breakthrough infections of those who have already received full, uh, or were fully vaccinated dosage of, uh, with the vaccines. So um, they're calling them breakthrough, but what um, is clearly defined, um, the doctors and virologists are, are clearly stating that and receiving this shot because it is not, it is not, let me repeat that, it is not a vaccine. It meets none of the criteria for a vaccine. When people receive this shot, it compromises their immunity. So when you get COVID, your immunity builds. When you get the shot, your immunity is compromised. That's pretty simple to understand and it's very black and white. So here's the other thing with the whistleblower testimony. This is the whistleblower testimony that is currently in a lawsuit against the GHSS from the American Frontline Doctors. And I want you to know that there are over 40,000 doctors that are backing this lawsuit. Yes, statewide. 40,000 doctors. 40,000. There are doctors that are fighting left and right for us. Those, those must be the wrong doctors. They're the right doctors. Very much. There, there's not a financial motivation. A lot of them are losing their uh, practices, and they're you know when someone is willing to lose their practice or their license, or um, willing to lose their comfy comfy little place in the emergency room, maybe that's the person that we should be listening to. You know, it's interesting. I, I wonder what Dr. Fauci has to say about these forty thousand doctors, because you know, isn't it? Isn't it the case that the AMA, the American Medical Association, has a huge lobby and they're considered to be this like this like very prestigious organization that when they when they say something about something we should all sit up and pay attention. But what does it say about the AMA when no doubt forty thousand among those forty thousand doctors that there's probably a good portion of them that are dues paying members of the AMA? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, when 40,000 yeah. of their own yeah. members yeah. are saying no. They, they, they've got wrong think. Wrong think. Wrong think. To explain what that, what, what's wrong think? Well, it shows up. It's just you're not thinking the correct way. For example, Australia, just within the last week, arrested a man who was narked on by his wife because she didn't, he did not agree with her. For those of you who didn't grow up with Miami Vice, oh. narc is a uh, oh. police that's officer. What that's what it uh, said in the article. Because it, it was all like these, it was all these like Twitter posts. Would, would have so, an informant, and yeah. the informant would go yeah. and tell on all the drug yeah, dealers, yeah. and that informant by the dealers was called yeah. a narc. Yeah. It was not a term of endearment. No, no, no it was no, no. it was very unpleasant so, because so he is on. now in a mental home. Because the the state because of, of wrong think yes because of wrong think the the government in Australia his province or territory that he lives in they came and they picked him up and they took him to the 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 place where you evaluate these people he was evaluated and they evaluated him as being there was something wrong with his thinking and he still is in a mental home I wonder if they're re-educating him well. That's the next step. So, you know, it's, it's coming. It's, well, it, and no wonder these doctors. It's amazing there's 40,000 doctors. I can't you, believe it. If you have wrong think, then that assumes that there's something called right think. 
Well, Fauci is right think, and, and, and Biden is right think, I'm sure, and, and maybe Dunleavy sometimes has right think, and Zinc sometimes has right think. Well, you know, it, you, you mentioned Dunleavy, and I want to I dial this back from the national stage for a minute and mm-hmm. talk about the state. Dunleavy apparently has filed. He believes he has what it takes to govern and be our governor. And we have an, uh, a choice to make. Right now, I haven't heard of any viable alternative candidate that has stepped up to say they'll run against Dunleavy. But I would like to see somebody step up to run against Dunleavy. I am supremely disappointed in Dunleavy. Dunleavy has, has basically acted like, like uh, Pontius Pilate. He's washed his hands. And he's turned everything over to the municipalities to decide and to Ann Zink to determine through her recommendations. And there's a recent story in the Alaska Watchman titled Juno Imposes Greater Restrictions on Unvaxxed Students and Staff. Yeah. And what we see emerging here out of this absolute vacuum in leadership is activist communities and companies being able to determine public policy yep and uh you know in some places these like in the native community the south central foundation is is extremely significant because not only do they provide services but they provide a lot of employment as well Mm -hmm. and without those jobs a lot of the folks that are employed by South Central have no other option. Yeah, I know. And so they're held hostage, and the governor is silent. And that's a Worse crime. than silent. And that, that is a very serious crime unto itself. And I think that my personal opinion is that Ann Zink needs to stay off of the TV. I'm not impressed with her, and she is um, contributing to a problem. And she's doing it in a really nice way. She's a very, very pleasant person to listen to and to look at but her information is flawed and it's inaccurate and she's contributing to a very big problem and that one of that the problem is fear and um and I, and I just I it will be very very happy when people are called, called on the carpet for this or called to tasks you know what, one of the things there is no reason when we have treatments we have perfectly good treatments that people should be so terrorized and i think this is the one thing that right. gets well you know before ammo can coffee became a social club um and private mm-hmm. we were open to the public we were a public facility um happy to to be such and um we don't have anything against a diversity of opinions and honest conversations but in December, when the city of Soldatna, through some activist city council members, decided that they wanted to plunge us back into masks and formalize masks as a ordinance, which would have yeah. made it law, I could see the handwriting on the wall. I already had a business in Anchorage that was deeply impacted by, by what Anchorage was doing in that regard. And so I started talking with community members and other business owners, and and looking at how the city responded and 
was going to try and impact us, there was there was no option. There was no option. We we had to we had to become separatist or be completely buried. And one of the things that I hear people say is they placate the other side. They try to say, and for instance, we'll, we'll talk about um, in the election, right? Um, people will say, well, we're going to do an election audit, and we're not saying that if we find any you know, damning evidence in there that shows widespread fraud and that Biden didn't actually win the election, that we're going to actually call for him to be removed. We're not going to do that. And I get so upset when I hear that. Why wouldn't we hold people to account for their criminality, the actions of being, you know, I mean, these, these uh, county commissioners, these county uh, councils that, that set these board of supervisors or whatever they call them down there, you know, these people that actively engaged in criminal mm-hmm. activity mm-hmm. and for the people on the radio and, and yeah. podcasts like this to say, you know, oh, well, we support the audit. We want to, you know, it's like this feigned um, uh, position of neutrality. Mm. And doggone it, I'm mm-hmm. not neutral. Yeah. No. Well, there is no neutral ground no. in this. You're either right or you're wrong. No, th- there, there is no neutral ground. And the, the, but the point is, is they've convinced those of us that are on the opposite side of those kind of people that there is because there's always uh, i mean i hear people today to say well gee you know we can't upset them the other thing too is they yell louder they do they yell louder i mean they're not afraid to um you know destroy someone they have no compunction whatsoever well, they'll shout you down if you start to <laughs> yeah. actually get traction yeah they will shout you down they'll do all kinds of things like the lady that came in here and was looking for white supremacists I should have asked her if she was seeking to join a white supremacist yeah. group. Well, you should have. And, 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 <laughs> and let her know that we are not one. Yeah. But, uh, and, and we're afraid to confront these people. We, we really are. Um, I remember the most heartbreaking thing was one of La- Rush Limbaugh's last shows where he said, um, a friend of his had come and said, you know, I'm sorry, I have to give in to my daughter or else she would cut me out of her life. And, and he, this man acknowledged what he was doing. He, he said, yeah, I'm going to placate her because she yells louder than I do and she's going to cut me off for my grandchildren or whatever. And that's what the point is. And we've actually got to get over that. Well, you know, the civil, we've got to get the, the over civil war, and, and let me be clear here, I never foment the, the, um, even a discussion about taking up arms because I think it's irresponsible uh, to do so. Um, when and if that were ever to occur, it would become apparent to everybody, and it would become it would begin organically. I think, but but I think it's irresponsible to foment or even discuss the possibility of civil war. But we can look back at our own history and look at the yeah. civil war, mm-hmm. and we can study it and learn from it and see what happened there. The civil war destroyed families, divided families. You had brothers and uncles and fathers and mothers, on arguing over such a contentious issue that they were willing to take up arms on either side and it was a tragedy for our our nation it was it was it was the most heartbreaking destructive um just just unnecessary loss of human life if people had just 
followed the golden rule and said, treat others as you would like to be treated. And then define others, meaning all of humanity, not just one class or one you know, race or, or whatever, but, but all of humanity. And if we would just follow the golden rule and hold our elected officials accountable to that rule to say, treat others as you would like to be treated. But we're not anywhere near that, and that's the problem. I mean, when we've got Nancy Pelosi that stands up, and she says some really vile things if you really listen to her. And, and a lot of the Democrats in, in the Senate do say that. A lot of the Democrats in the, in, in the House say that. They say vile, vile things that they, if they were a conservative or they were Donald Trump, they would be, uh, uh, you know, uh, in prison. Or they'd be just demonized, excoriated. You know, and I, I think we're way back from that position. I, I think we've got to find a way forward. I like that idea. But one of the problems is, is that they're nowhere near... Yeah. Even thinking kindly towards us. Oh, they're not. I know. This is this is all the pandemic. Um, you know, it's a conspiracy until it's not anymore. And this has done exactly what it is supposed to do. It has separated people um, by beliefs and conviction. And I think that we need to continue to get as many facts out there as possible so that we can substantiate and prove what's going on and um, then help everybody heal because uh, a lot of people just can't believe that a doctor would not tell them the truth or that um, our government would not tell them the truth and the reality is is that um, yeah if there's if there's a ulterior motive if there's a goal that's gonna happen I do want to uh, read something though there are two things one is I brought this uh, lawsuit a copy of this lawsuit to the uh, school board to show them, because in the lawsuit is definitive facts. Um, in the lawsuit are not only facts, but scientific proof that what they're considering is not valid or legit. And that, um, you know, it, so I wanted to um, also read the whistleblower testimony because it's really impactful. And I think that the more we get this out, the more it will help people. So, um, Plaintiff's expert Jane Doe is a computer programmer with subject matter expertise in the healthcare data analysis field and access to medical and me, uh, media Medicaid data maintained by centers of medical and Medicaid services. So, um, in her expert opinion, Veers underreports deaths caused by the vaccines by a conservative factor of at least five. I need to go up. Uh, no, just louder. <laughs> louder. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Jane Doe queried data from CMS medical claims and has determined that the number of deaths occurring within three days of injection with the vaccines exceeds, exceeds those reposted by VIRS by a factor of at least five, indicating that the true number of deaths caused by the vaccines is at least 45,000 people. That's only the ones reported within the first three days of the vaccine. She, or I'm not even going to say vaccine, shot. It is a shot. She notes that the 1976 swine flu vaccine campaign in which 25% of the population at the time, 55 million Americans were vaccinated. The swine flu vaccine was deemed dangerous and unsafe and removed from the market, even though the vaccine resulted in only 53 deaths. That should tell you something right there. This is really important information. Um, 
The American Frontline Doctors have this lawsuit. It's a case, I will give you the case number. It is case number 221-CB00702-CLM. Uh, <coughs> and it is filed in Arkansas. Alabama. Or, or Alabama. So you should be able to look that up. Arkansas, Alabama, Alabama, Alaska. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking at the front page. I'm trying to look for the front page. But the more informed we are, the better we can fight anything. And and that's why I'm here. Um, you can also get a hold of the frontline doctors online. Um, talk to an MD. And they will get back to you. They will do a Zoom medical interview. And if all of you know, we've all been shut down. So everyone's used to doing Zoom with their doctors now. And they will overnight you um, prophylactic medication. Um, this is not contraception. It is not. <laughs> it is not contraception. It is a preventative. A though, preventative. A yes. preventative. I do not want to become pregnant with COVID. With COVID, we don't. Yeah. So I wanted to get that information out there because the more people are armed with this information, huh? Oh, this is. Yeah, this is one one thing I wanted to know because I have a curious mind, is I, w I wanted to know if there was mo any monetary compensation for the amount of COVID that we have in our hospitals, or... Why would they do that? Um, yeah, I don't know. So, I was really shocked. This is off of the state-by-state state state breakdown of federal aid Becker's per COVID-19 case. Um, Becker's Hospital Review. Becker's Hospital Review. Okay. So this is not, I'm not pulling this out of thin air. No, this is not I'm, a conspiracy website. I'm not making this up. Um, it is by state, and Alaska receives per COVID-19 case, and this is broken up into different areas, too. I, I want you to understand it's not just per uh, COVID patient, and then the doctor or the hospital gets all this, this money. This is the first round of money. But we are compensated here in Alaska 306000 dollars per covid case hey you know what i had covid i would like a little bit of a kickback from it, that it's not you know it's not for you 20 percent 20 percent i'm good just just give way. me 20 percent of the money they got for claiming my covid now now let me let yeah. me let me tell you something i have told folks i had covid the only reason i've told people that is because that's what the doctor told me yeah, you don't know. Yeah, you now, don't know let me sure. tell you my certain situation. About every year or two, I will get a pretty bad um, case of strep throat. It's just it's just life for me. I, I don't know why, but I every year or two, I'll get strep throat. So I'm pretty familiar with the symptoms. And, and you know, as soon as I get that runny sort of feeling in the back of my throat, I know something's coming. And so... Um, I'm uh, I'm not feeling well. I, I get the runny thing. I tell my wife, I'm going home. COVID's happening in the community. It's probably just a, a cold. I'm going to be careful. So I go home. The next day, immediately sore throat. I'm like, well, that's the post-nasal drip, and I've got the sore throat, and it's probably just a sore throat. Well, then it flares up, and it gets really sore. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Here goes. I've got the strep again. But I also had a headache, and uh, I usually get a headache with strep, but, you know, um, 
but I'm being hyper vigilant now because everybody's got COVID, you know, or mm-hmm. so they say everybody's got COVID. And um, so I lay there and, you know, my throat gets worse and worse and worse. And by day eight, it's not any better. And I tell my wife, I was like, I better go to the doctor and, you know, get some medicine for this because it's getting out of control. At no time did I have breathing problems or, you know, any any other serious, you know, symptoms. Mm-hmm. But so I schedule my visit. I go see the doctor. He meets me in the parking lot because I can't come in the building. And I say, hey, doc, I think I got strep throat. Can you do a test? And he's like, well, and, and see, I'm one of those uninsured Americans. So um, he says, well, you know, the test is kind of expensive. You don't have insurance. Um, how about, uh, you know, it? you know, I can give you the, the strep test or I can give you the, the flu test mm-hmm. or I can give you the COVID test. And he says, the flu test is going to cost you. The strep test is going to cost you. But the COVID, COVID test, test is free. Wow. And then he yeah. said this. Yeah. And then he said this. Regardless whether or not you have the flu, yeah. you have strep, or you have COVID, we're going to treat it the same way. So obviously, I said, give me the COVID test. And lo and behold, you had COVID. I had COVID. He gave me a script for a, a Z-Pack. Mm-hmm. In two days' time, I was at 98%. I took the two days of Z-Pack, and I was back. Mm-hmm. Like that. That was me snapping. Uh, we're on radio, so sound effects um you know that was me snapping and that was me back i was back and did i have covid or did he need 300 and how much well whatever his breakdown of that whatever whatever his 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 piece of the pie yeah Yeah. you know i didn't get any pie yeah all i'm saying is i want some pie so um i want to welcome ken henderson to our circle here uh ken walked in and um uh ken we're gonna have to have you scoot in closer to the mic so everybody's gonna have to not socially distance well i'm gonna um you're gonna take off okay so so uh thank you for coming in uh april april is uh in the shop frequently so those of you uh with the uh nsa or darpa who are monitoring this channel know where to find her um because she does frequent this shop. Don't um, worry, they've already got a tag on her car. Make sure Come you on. smile when you go out like, for the gentleman yeah, in the van yeah. across the they're, road. They're tracking her by GPS. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, your wave. Make sure that your uh, tinfoil hat is properly secured before you go out the door, though. So, um, <laughs> we try to have fun. So, Ken. Uh, Ken is uh, one of the folks that I saw when I was a kid. Um, Ken has a special story. He is, uh, at one point, he was what you might say a a pop star of the evangelical Christian movement. And um, he was part of a group called the Power Team. So if, if you grew up in the 80s or the 90s, um, you may, he's switching some chairs around here because we've got a comfortable chair and a not so comfortable <laughs> chair. Um, and I've got the not comfortable one. Well, I yeah. want everybody to know that. I sit yeah. here week after week in the not comfortable chair. And you don't complain. You sit there all alone in the, in the darkness. 
<laughs> not complaining yeah. while the rest of us kids go out and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It. <laughs> so, um, Ken was part of the power team. And for those of you who don't know what the power team is, the power team was a group of, of uh, radicals. These were um, folks with uh, interesting backgrounds and stories to tell who had escaped the clutches of hell. Well, quite literally, the clutches of hell. And these are men of power. And uh, so, Ken, with that introduction, you know, I mean, we, we bumped into each other just through a random course of events. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. <clears throat> But I was very excited when I met Ken to have him on the show. So, Ken, tell us, tell us where you're from, a little bit about yeah. the power team. Okay. Uh, I'm from California, uh, Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, you know, I used to run with Hells Angels and, and party and... Uh, fight I was a kickboxer and did a lot of fighting uh, unfortunately a lot of drugs and on I'm 66 now but on December the 6th 1978 well August of 78 uh, I was in the park fighting my pit bull we, we call them rolling him we roll two pits together and then when nobody even knew about pit bulls and I you know, we wouldn't let them hurt each other. We would just have fun. And this girl comes walking out of the parking lot right up to me. And I walked out because she was kind of pretty. You know, went out this, this blonde girl, and she goes, Hi. I said, What are you doing here by yourself? This is a dangerous park. And she said, Well, I was praying for you. And uh, Jesus told me to tell you he loves you and has a call in your life. I said, What? And I actually cussed her out. And I said, time on the field, did, did, who are you with? She says, I'm with Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, anyway, from that, for the next six months, I would dream about her. She'd be in my dreams. And, I, you know, I'd go to... The girl the, of your dreams. The girl of my dreams. I don't know her name to this day. I'll meet her in heaven one day. But she was bold enough to tell me that. And then the Holy Spirit would put her, make, have me to dream about her. Not every night, but probably three, four times a week. And then six months later, in the shower, I was thinking, God, I'm so tired of living this way. And it's like the heavens opened, and it was like honey was poured on top of my head. The, the glory of God just came down me. And I saw my mother who had died of cancer. I saw her in heaven with rosy cheeks. I just saw her, like I'm looking at you, uh, Jason. Anyway, I long story. I have rosy cheeks, Yeah, too. you do have rosy <laughs> cheeks. <laughs> They're called the Laskin Cheeks. <laughs> By the way, this uh, ammo can coffee place is, is absolutely amazing. And I'm, uh, you know, we've had a few meetings here, but uh, it's amazing what, what he's doing here. Even to do this podcast is, uh, is such an uplifting thing for my heart. But So anyway, so uh, I knew I had to tell my two brothers, so I went on, I knocked on their door. They, they'd been waiting for me, Bill and Jim. And... Uh, Bill answered the door, and he looked at me. He goes, man, what have you been smoking? <laughs> I said, I've been smoking God in the shower, and you need some of this. Because <laughs> I was completely covered in the glory of God, not knowing what it was. And I felt like hugging. We never hugged in California. Man never hugged another man unless you were, you know, you know, a fruiter or something. But I went and hugged my brother Bill, and the power of God hit him. And I looked at my brother Jim. I just thought God get him too. So we all three gave our life to, to the Lord that night. 
we flushed all of our dope and that was uh 40 something years ago and the lord's taken me to 50 countries and preaching the gospel i've seen the dead raised uh i've seen uh just a lot of miracles in brazil and uh, you know i've been there many times but i was there with a guy named arthur blessed who's carried the cross around the world and and we marched on the beach of Rio de Janeiro where they had the Olympics, you know, a few years back. With 30,000 Christians through 2 million people doing witchcraft, we marched with the cross. And at the end of it, well, the day before, the witch doctor said, if you march during our celebration, we will kill you. And, uh, and so he, the guy comes to us, he's translating the Portuguese, you know, hey, they say they're going to kill us if we march tomorrow night. Well, Arthur Blessed, I don't know if you know who he is. He goes, hallelujah. He's in the Guinness Book of Record for carrying a cross all over the world. He's still alive. He goes, just think, brothers, if they kill us tomorrow night, we can go home and have supper with Jesus. I said, man, I don't want to die in the beaches of Brazil. Long story short, I put a power team together 10 years later with Youth of the Mission. And they wanted me to come to Brazil. They're all over the world. And I couldn't make it, so my brother went. And there's a guy there uh, that's looking at my brother and he, you know they speak Portuguese, but he's translating back and forth to my brother. And the guy says, his name is Marco. He says, were you here 10 years ago? My brother goes, yeah, translates back. Was there a guy that looks like you? He goes, yeah, my brother Ken. And we favor a lot. And did you have, was there a guy with a cross? He goes, yeah, Arthur Blessed. This guy falls on the ground, starts crying. Bill doesn't know what's going on. Finds out he was the one hired to kill us. And he had three or four other guys with him, and there's, you know, 10,000 people in, in the audience. We're up on a stage preaching the gospel. And they're going to walk up on the stage and cap us, shoot us in the head. Paid to do it. And as he was coming to shoot us, we know we were threatened, but we didn't know this until 10 years later. Uh, this guy gets thrown to the ground, and a voice says to him, of course, in his native tongue, Portuguese, says, touch not my servants and do them no harm. And his homies are like, what was that? He goes, I don't know. And he gets up and he goes, let's get him. <laughs> We're coming again. They have pistols in their hands. Now he's thrown through the air, the beaches of uh, Copacabana Beach, Rio de Janeiro. And the voice says again to him, I said, touch not my servants and do them no harm. And, he, and right there he goes, I want what they got. And he got born again that night. And today he's a preacher. <laughs> so, you know. I just love uh, when when the Lord moves, and, some, and a lot of times we don't know it, but uh, God's protecting us. So, so Ken, you know, some of those joining this podcast may not really understand what the term "born again" means. Can you can you kind of expand on the definition of what that is? Yeah, uh, John uh, John three says we must be born again, and. Uh, Nicodemus came to, to the Lord and said, what are you talking about? How can, you be, how can you be born again? You know, how do you enter your mother's womb again? He goes, no, you must be born again. So we're born first of our mother. And, uh, but we're born, you know, we're, we have a body, uh, our soul is our mind, will, and emotions, but our spirit must be born again. It must, it must be changed where Christ comes into our life. So we're, we're literally born again. And I got born again, not even knowing what it meant, December the 6th, 1978, in my shower in San Bernardino, California. And, uh, but like I say, I've seen... 
different kind of holy water. Different kind of holy water. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen I've seen so many people like like in Brazil when we were praying for people that at that night when they were trying to kill us, there were people that were blind that were completely healed. One guy had white eyeballs like a like a a, a cue ball. If you know if you ever played pool, his eyes were completely white. They bring him to me to pray for him, and it freaked me out. But I prayed. Nothing happened. The next day, they bring him back to me. He got completely healed through the night. He got a brand new pair of eyes, and that's a, that's a beautiful, true story of healing. Well, you know, I, I had the chance, uh, I guess it'd be about, oh, 16 years ago now, to go on a short-term discipleship training trip, kind of really trying to remind get a reminder of why i was christian because i was i was really in a dry spot and we went to we got out of our normal routines we got away from normal life and we took a trip our our church uh, i went to uh, north kenai chapel out in nikiski and we took a trip to glasgow scotland and we now, hey, I'm, I've been there. Yeah, and and I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm Scottish and Cherokee. Well, Glasgow's a rough place, and um, there was a man there named Lavere Soper who ran something called Mission of Compassion. And uh, while name. we were That's while we name. were there, he was um, he was sending missionaries into, I believe it was uh, Romania, working with the Romanian gypsies. And he said he was on one of his trips while he was there, and he just he brought a band with him because that's how they'd bring people in to to listen. Is they get some really talented musicians that could jam real well. Yeah, yeah. They'd find a they'd find a corner, you know, yeah. or a, a crossroads where they could set up in a city, and they would just start playing music, and they'd get a big crowd. And then at some point, when the you know spirit led. Um, the evangelist would stand up and yeah. deliver the gospel message of Christ. And uh, he said he was he was at one of these. And, and you know, Romania is not exactly a safe place, as many of the, you know, former Soviet mm. republics, they, they can be pretty rough. And um, he was delivering the message, and he said in the very back of this huge, huge crowd that they had gathered, he heard a bunch of commotion. And it got pretty loud, and it seemed to him that it was angry, and uh, he quickly, you know, kind of paused from his message and asked the interpreter what was going on. The interpreter said, well, there's a, there's a man who's had his hearing restored. And he's, he's screaming because it's the first thing he's, That's beautiful. he's heard yeah. in, in years. Yeah. Apparently he'd had his hearing and lost it somehow. And, but that, um, that he had seen this crowd and he didn't know what was going on. But he came into the presence of God just walking up to the crowd and that God restored his hearing and then he heard the message and Ooh. and uh, so Levere, you know had him come up and uh, and the rest of the story is sort of lost in my memory but um, you know there are many many times that that the spiritual realm reveals itself if you are willing and open to see it yeah. and seek it. Yeah. And I'll tell one more quick story. Um, I was in Nome. I was working as a, a lay youth minister with the Assembly of God there. 
and it was about 11 o'clock at night. My children can re- remember this like it was yesterday because it was very impactful on them. It's about 11 o'clock at night. We're just getting ready. We're kind of in our end of the evening routine to go to bed. And my front door burst open with such force, I thought we were under attack. And a young man stumbled in to our living room and collapsed in my arms, sobbing. And he was in his sock feet and a pair of shorts. And he was one of the kids in our youth group. And he had run all the way around uh, across town. He lived clear on the other side of the village. It was 40 below outside. What and he heck? ran from his house to our house and collapsed in my arms, trembling with fear. And he recalls that <coughs> he was in his room and a darkness descended on him in his room, uh, something he could feel. And out of the darkness, a voice told him to kill himself. And he didn't know what to do. And it continued to tell him, and it repeated itself several times. And then he cried out. He cried in the name of Jesus. And the darkness lifted enough for him to get out of the paralyzed state he had found himself in. And he, he knew he immediately had to leave his home. And he ran straight to our house. Powerful. And we spent the next couple of hours praying with him and reading the word. And, and I believe that God sent him to our door because when I was a young man living in my own home, I had a similar experience. And so, you know, um, the podcast, we, we talk about political stuff. We talk about um, the challenges that we face with our government and COVID and the mandates and, you know, um, the management or mismanagement of our cities and state, what things that we can do. But one of the important things I think we need to recognize and remember is that we wrestle not against flesh and bone, but against powers and principalities. And that the devil is out there roaring like a lion, seeking to devour whoever he can. And that, um, we have a greater power, though, and that power is in Christ. And the power teams was, was um, part of my coming to Christ when I was a young child. That's beautiful. You know, seeing, seeing you know, and it wasn't that I thought I was ever going to be able to bend steel bars with my yeah, but face. My, you know, or, Mike, Mike, you know. Hagen, <laughs> Mike Hagen played with the Seahawks. Uh, Brad Tuttle was captain of the Navy SEALs. I, I did kickbox stuff. But, and we all come out of a rough background every one of us uh, had a, a, a spent with you know in the world and every one of us had a radical salvation so that's why the power team got together and we'd rip a phone book and use it metaphorically you know say the phone book you know my name used to be written in a book of death I was going to hell for eternity and let that phone book represent that and if I can rip it in half and Today, my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. But anybody that wants your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you're not a, a born-again Christian, when I ripped this phone book, you know, ask Jesus into your life. And many people do. I work a lot with the homeless and, uh, you know, drug addicts, you know, have, have for many years. And many of the homeless are, they make great Christians, even being homeless. 
You know, I feed sometimes 300 homeless in, in Oklahoma City. It's called Church Under the Bridge. Every Sunday from 3 to 4, 300 homeless get fed, fed no matter what. They get, they get a complete meal. They get worship. They, they eat. They get the gospel preached to them, and then they get prayed for. So anyway. Uh, I have a question for you, Ken, and, and you know, this is going to be kind of personal. Okay. So, um, you know, you've you've been pretty candid with me in our past conversations and on the show so far. But um, oh, by the way, I wanted to apologize because I was supposed to have been on here a, a few weeks back, and uh, uh, Alita Parker and I we we got busy doing something, and we complete all of a sudden. Oh my gosh, we're supposed to be over at the ammo camp. So anyway, we 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 I've wanted we, to apologize we, for that right away. We adapt, improvise, and overcome. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so the question I wanted to ask you is, is kind of a timely question because we had a, a patron in here that this this will be significant to, and I hope I hope that she listens to this podcast. Um, have you ever wrestled with the idea of self harm or uh, taking your own life? You know, I haven't, but I was just in uh, Anchorage, and uh, I was helping a guy do some carpentry, and the Lord just spoke to me. Uh, his name is James, and uh, and said he's thinking about killing himself. And I'm staying at his house. So I sit him down, and uh, you know he was smoking some fish, some salmon, and and things. And they're gonna say we yeah, smoking something else. <laughs> no, no, it was salmon. <laughs> and so we sit down, and uh, we're having a cup of coffee. And I said, James, I said, number one, your name means truthful one. He goes, okay. I said, so tell me the truth. Have you been thinking about killing yourself? You know, so tear rose down cheek. Because yeah, man. I said, well, that's, you know, I said you got a daughter, you got hope, you got life. I know you're not a, a Christian yet. Long story short, now he's okay. He calls me yesterday and says, Ken, when are you flying out? And I told him it's in about a week. He goes, well, come stay with me at least one more time so we can eat and talk. So he's real close, but he was he was on the verge of suicide. But I I. Uh, I had a thought when I was uh, 19, my mom just died, and I thought about driving my truck off a cliff. So I did have, it was a fleeting thought, like, what if I just drove off, you know, and I was not a Christian? And it was just gone. It was there, and I thought, no, nah, I got a nice Ford pickup, man. I don't want it. <laughs> True, I mean, but anyway, go ahead with it. So suicide. So, you know, it's, it's something that I thought about at one point when I was a young man. And it was after I had made some very poor choices. And I had gone down a direction. I had walked away from my faith. I had walked away from my foundation, my roots. I was completely disconnected. I had... Were uh, you raised Christian? I was. Yeah. I was. And, awesome. And, awesome. and I walked away from the community. I walked away from um, those connections. I basically forsake, forsook my foundation. I was that prodigal son, right? Yeah. I didn't ask for my inheritance. It wouldn't probably have done any good, but because uh, we've never really had a lot of money. But uh, <laughs> but I think my inheritance was a rice cooker. I got one of those when I left home. But um, you know, rice cookers uh, are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They keep you fed if you can find the rice. Um, you know, but uh, but it was a dark period, and I I came out of it when I ded- rededicated my life to Christ and. 
And I can't tell tell you that it's been an easy journey oh, no, since no. then. You know, John MacArthur, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but he did have a good book once that I read. It was called The Hard Truth. And he said, you know, that, that today's Christianity is kind of like a light beer commercial. Yeah. Tastes great, but it's less filling. And he said the hard truth about being a Christian is that it's going to be painful. That you're going to be called to do the things that are uncomfortable. And some of us may even yet be called to martyrdom, to die for our, our faith. And, but, you know, even in that, the message of Christ brings hope and life and restoration and a peace that I think is missing in a lot of today's um, narrative. You know, everybody's upset. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's concerned about what other people think. A lot of people don't have peace. And a lot of people who are so attached to this idea of a vaccine are looking for something to save them from impending doom or what they perceive to be this impending doom. And if there's anything that we can do today, and the reason I ask you that question is because I had a, a patron in here the other day who came in. She said, you know, I don't know why, but I just felt like I had to go to Ammo Can. And I know why. Because we had an opportunity to speak into her life and connect her with no, this, this some, place, some, some resources. This place is anointed. Yeah. She, yeah. She's not the first person. And I'm, I'm nobody great. God has used this place because it is a place where Christians meet. It's an ecumenical place. It's, it's where the church meets the street and the street meets the church. And not every member is a Christian. But I tell every member that you will meet Christians here and that this is a place where culture is sacred. And you're not going to cancel anybody's culture. This, the, like the second people, uh, or, you know, and I guess they would be in the first page. Don't look on the first page because their, their information is important, you know, protected. But, but I had a, a group, a couple come in that they said, well, we're not Christians. Why would we be members? Because we overtly have a Christian statement, our mission statement. And I said, well, you don't have to be Christians. Just know that you can't cancel a Christian's culture when you come here because this is a place we meet. And they were perfectly fine <laughs> with that. They were, they were self-proclaimed pagans. But to be a member, you have to acknowledge the importance of the role of the Judeo and Christian cultures in the foundation of the United States and the advancement of Western civilization. And if you do that, then you have to acknowledge that there is a kernel of truth, at least a kernel of truth in those cultures, that there's something, there's something profound, that there's something, there's something um, enlightened or sacred there. And if you accept that, you're on your way to becoming maybe an agnostic. And if well, you're, me, if you're an me, agnostic... Yeah, let me jump in here. i got to you know, jump in because there, I, know, I know our time is short. But the greatest glory God is coming. And you need to hear this. Uh, the heavens are opening. And uh, I was in a prison with Chuck Colson in the Carolinas. And I, we did prisons for three weeks. And the very last one, they said, Ken, they hate Christians there. I said, okay, thanks for the encouragement. They never come. But 60 men showed up. They wanted to see a guy rip a phone book. But Jesus wanted to touch him. I got up to share, and I didn't even get to share. I walked up to preach to these 60 men, and, and the Lord walked into this prison. 
Now, I didn't see him with my natural eyes, but blew me on the ground, blew every man like a bomb went off out of their chairs. I'm on the ground crying. I can't get up. Uh, the guards bit the dust. It's called an open heaven. And finally, the Lord speaks to me and says, what you can do for me in 20 years, I can do through you in two minutes. And finally, I could stand up, and all the men are getting up, the ones that hated Christians. And I said, that's Jesus. How many would like him? I want you to put both hands. Every single man raise their hands here. So the heavens are opening now, uh, Jason. Another time in Colorado Springs, uh, I used to bring in 100 tons of food, feed the homeless, feed the city, barbecue for 8,000 people, uh, give away 100 tons of food. 100 tons, that's four or five semi-trucks. And at the end of the day, I had, I had put a tank up on the stage, and it was called the Acacia Park, in case somebody wanted to get saved or baptized. And at the end, I just went up, and the heavens opened again. I feel the glory of God coming. And I just get up, and I said, you know, you all know me. I'm here every Saturday, you know, 200 volunteers. We cook for everybody. I said, but you know what? It's all about Jesus, not about us. I said, if you want the Lord, they just started flooding, you know, up to the stage. I said, now. And then we prayed. I said, who would like to be baptized? There was a guy in a wheelchair that had paralysis, and he wanted to be baptized. First one. And so I asked him, I said, you, he couldn't talk, had paralysis, electric wheelchair. We pick him up, we put him in the water. Now he's really heavy. He was a big guy. We take him out, we baptize him, we put him into his wheelchair, and the power of God hits him. He gets completely healed and jumps up. Somebody dives into the tank. They're going, Ken, who is it? I said, I don't know. The number one drug dealer in the city, his name was Tech, dove in to that baptism tank. The heavens are opening, Jason. And I get all the thing with the vaccine. I hate it. I'm not going to do it and all of that. And I think the COVID thing is a big scamdemic, not pandemic. But, but more than that, the heavens are opening and uh, the glory of God's coming. And I believe we're going to see global glory. Global glory. I mean, the, you know, worldwide, not just, you know, Alaska, not just, you know, the lower, what do you call it, the lower 48 up here? Right. <laughs> anyway, you know, and I just had to say that, and I, I wanted to kind of go down that highway with you a little bit today because God's presence and his love for us you know, you know John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We, we, we grew up learning that. Right. But Colossians says that God is love. So it could, it could, you could read it this way, for love so loved the world, that love gave love's only begotten love, that whosoever believeth in love shall not perish, but have eternal life. For love did not send love into the world to condemn the world, but that through love we might be saved. So love to me is the key. And, and, and all of the, the Old Testament and the Torah there and our new covenant, the, the new, it all wraps up with Jesus said, look, just love me and love one another. Here's the kicker, even love your enemy. Yeah. And that's hard for a Christian to do sometimes. I went through a divorce a couple of years ago, and there was an affair involved, not by me, but uh, I got real sick. Um, I had staph infection from working a job, and I got cut my, anyway, and they sent me home to die. They said, you need a liver transplant, and I was in Norway. I said, no, I'm not taking someone else's liver. I've seen too many miracles, 
anyway, an affair happened, a divorce happened, not by my call. Uh, I have three kids, beautiful kids. But through that time, the Lord taught me two things. He says, always love and always forgive. And even the guys you had the affair with. Yeah, I don't want to take him out to dinner, but I do forgive him. And I really do still love my former wife. Yeah. You know, I don't like what she did, and there's a lot of pain in a divorce. You know, I've been single. You know, I joke with people. They say, what's your name? I said, I'm Ken without a Barbie. <laughs> 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 anyway, I didn't mean to uh, interrupt, but go ahead, Jason. So uh, I appreciate that, Ken. And, you know, the I guess the, what I wanted to key in on to was there is hope. Yeah, there is. Mm. There's hope in Christ. Um, if you feel like you're hopeless today, know that you're loved. I, l- I love I love that That's that that, uh, that translation yeah, that love. transmorgification. For love, so love the world. Right, right, love right. Yeah. So so know that you're loved. <laughs> know that there is a community Amen. that Amen. cares for you. Hallelujah. If you feel isolated, especially easy to be isolated in this in this uh, present time. Um, if you're not attached to a church, find a church. If your church isn't serving you, let the pastor know. Don't just walk from the church. Let the pastor know. Let them make it right. Ultimately, if they don't make it right, the world is full of churches. And church isn't going to save you. But companionship and fellowship with like-minded people, people who have hope, that there is more than this than just this life. Yeah. That that the life giver, the life bringer, has such a a future in store for us that if we could see even a glimpse of it, we wouldn't know what to do or say. Well the word church is ecclesia and it's not a building. It's not Baptist or Presbyterian and on and on. We are the church. We are the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the army of the Lord. And so I've got, you know, a good friend. Uh, I've known him for many, many years, and he does house church. Because so they don't have the big bills to pay and big salaries. They just meet in houses. And they got thousands. They just had seven uh, pastors in Pakistan that were beheaded. So there's places in the world that, you, that, that people are being killed. Like another friend that carries a cross, Keith Wheeler. And he was o- over somewhere where the, the ISIS guys are, and they, they attacked him. They took his cross. They were afraid of his cross. He had a big wooden cross he carried. And then they peed on him. And they're going to cut his head off. And all of a sudden, they screamed and ran. I don't know what they saw. But, you know, I, I had Thanksgiving. I was, he lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I, the day after Thanksgiving, I had dinner with, with him. And, and his wife, uh, he calls her precious. But anyway, but we are the church. So, you know, when people look at a building and think, okay, what church do you go to? I mean, where do I fellowship? You know, and I, I do you house fellowship church. right where you are. Yeah. Like we're having church right now. If two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst. The Lord is here. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes he shows up in ways we, you know, we do, I don't know what he does in people's hearts. You know, uh, but I always preach the gospel. And everywhere I go, I've got gospel tracks. And uh, I'll always hand them a track and tell people, Jesus loves you. I did that at Home Depot the other day. A girl just started crying. 
I, I, and all I said was, Jesus, did you know Jesus loves you? Boom. She just starts crying. And I do it all the time. And I've had four or five people, while I'm in Alaska, that just start tearing up and crying. And they'll say, you don't know how bad I needed that. I said, I need that. I said, he, he saved me, you know. Uh, and then I get to tell a little of my story, if they got a second. You know, he saved me when I was 23 years old. One of the, one of the things that um, I think... I've struggled with, and I know a lot of people with uh, who are Christians have struggled with this. Is that that the enemy, the, as we identify the devil, will try and condemn us, try and tell us you're not good enough, you're not worthy. But the big secret is not such a secret. We're, we'll never be worthy. It's through the blood of Christ that we become worthy Amen. Amen. in God's eyes. And so, Amen. you know, there are yeah. two men, two men in the Bible that. Um, Give me hope for myself. They were both mighty men of God, but they were both failures. Um, one was Samson, who made a vow, was set aside as as uh, a Nazarene and a Nazarite rather, and and he had a code he had to live by. And as so long as he lived by that code and that vow that he had made, God would do great and powerful things. He was a judge. and But he got in a relationship he wasn't supposed to be in. And so long as his hair was, was not cut, the power of God was in him. Kind of like the power team, you know. I can just see Samson up there ripping a phone book in half, you know. You know, but, but John Jacobs used to say, "Lord, give us the strength of Samson." I think that guy whipped, didn't, you know, yeah. thousands of Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. You right. Know? I was like, okay. Yeah. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the English language, ass is the original form uh, term for a donkey. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, Thank you for yeah. covering, covering <laughs> for me, Jason. Thank you, brother. No, we talk about language in here a lot and the meaning yeah. of words, but. Um, you know, uh, so Samson, you know, he strayed, and he strayed a long, long way off the path that God had set out for him. But in the end, he turned his his attention back to God, and he called on God to use him mm. mightily, and God Glory did. Glory to God. You know, Hallelujah. and it was the last day that he drew breath on the Glory on the planet, but... You know, still um, he went out smiling. He went out smiling. You know, and and the other the other man that I I think of is David. You know, David, the least of a large family of brothers, was elevated to the top position, ordained by the prophet of the time to be the next king of Israel. Yeah, and he got there, and the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. But David was a murderer. Some people don't get that, and, and and there was times I thought, "Are you kidding me?" When I was a young Christian, a man after God's own heart, you know, he he, he had an affair and he had murdered, and but and no. that was after he was ordained. Yeah, you know, and yep. and he too walked a, a path that was, you know, the Bible says that that uh, you know, broad is the path that leads to destruction. You yeah. know, many people are seduced into just taking that path. Yeah. And narrow is the path, you know, and it's a winding one sometimes, oftentimes, and difficult to find that God sets us. But once our feet are on the path, if we listen to his word and we seek out fellowship and we we meditate on what he has for our lives, you know, he has great blessings for us. And even if we stray off that path, there's always hope 
because his his grace is sufficient. And so if you take anything away from today's uh, podcast, you know, we talked about the petition. Petitions are good. We need to be salt and light in the world. We need to not separate ourselves from the world. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. We need to engage in the political systems and in the narrative, the dialogue in our school boards. We need to not cede the ground to the enemy. We need to not back away from our responsibility to be of, uh, uh, you know, kingdom-minded. We can't become so kingdom-focused that we're no earthly good. Mm-hmm. And because we're called to do both. Yeah. And so draw hope from this conversation. I appreciate you coming in, Ken. Um, Loretta, your companionship and uh, participation is always appreciated. She's, do, you, do you have any questions for Ken or no. any comments from the last hour? <laughs> No, it was just wonderful listening to your Loretta story. Was, yeah, thank you. <clears throat> it was wonderful. I, I, I felt bad about no. <laughs> sitting in this chair with you on that. I wanted to switch with you just I, to be a gentleman. <laughs> no, and I think you're right, Jason. I think we needed this today because there's, you know, earlier in the program we talked about stuff that's kind of frightening to the average very, person. Very frightening. Very frightening. And, and we have to remind ourselves that your place exists and exists for a purpose. You know, the ammo can coffee I'm talking about is a place that exists for all of us, and we need to try to bring that together. But we also need to remind people that their place exists. Yes, that's that true. That they're not just placeholders, that no. they're significant to the kingdom of, of God, yeah. whether they recognize yeah. or acknowledge God or yeah. not. Yeah. He is. Yes. He was and will always be, be, and whether you acknowledge him or not, you mm-hmm. will be used of him. He used mm-hmm. a donkey at one point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes I feel like that donkey, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I have a close friend that that um, he's not a professing Christian. But he did not disagree with me the other day when I told him, I said, the song you wrote was ordained by God. Mm. He sang a song to me that sent chills up my spine. And he said, I, I was going to take this song in a different direction. Mm-hmm. But these words kept coming back to me. And uh, maybe we'll have him on the show sometime to talk it's about good. that creative process. Yeah. I'm not going to reveal his name to anybody no. did, right did now. He, did he play guitar? Did he play he, guitar? He, he plays guitar. He's a singer and songwriter and a very talented individual. And and God gave him a message. And I, I told him, I said, if you don't produce this, you should at least send this out mm-hmm. to somebody in the Christian community to produce it for you. Because it is a powerful message. And it is a it's a message of redemption and restoration. And... You know, if if your hope in in life is secure in your relationship with God, and you recognize that this is just a season, this life of ours, that it's not the all in beginning and end of things, but just the beginning, have then we, there, you know, it doesn't matter what pandemic comes along. Yeah. It doesn't matter what plague or pestilence or you know, um, invasion or, you know, name, name your disaster. It doesn't matter if, you know, all the mountains across the inlet blow up and we have a massive tidal wave, you know, really we live each day as though it was our last. That's what we're commanded to do. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Rest assured in Christ, in God, that, you know, his word says he's not going to leave us begging for bread. You know, he's not going to give us evil things when we ask for blessings. So if you haven't asked for a blessing lately, ask God to bless you. Ask God to bless your enemies. 
ask God, you know, those people that maybe you're upset at the school board or you're upset at uh, the governor or you're upset at the president or you're upset at, you know, Dr. Fauci or whoever it may be. You know, if we as a nation were to ask God to bless those people, there's two possible outcomes. One is that they find redemption and they are truly blessed. The other is that God says if they don't turn from their wicked ways, it would be like piling coals on their head. There is a price to be paid when you ignore God. And so we can, in Christian love, ask for love, expect love, seek love, promote love, be in the world. If you have me on again in the future, uh, I'll, I'll play it. Uh, I'll get my guitar and I'll do a song for you. Okay. You ever hear "All Dressed Up with Nowhere to Go"? I don't recall that one. All dressed up with nowhere to go. Yeah, it's a saying. Yeah. Well, this song is all dressed up with somewhere to go. No. Okay. All right. So it's what we put on. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about an actual song. It, yeah. No, no. I, I've heard. It's I've a heard saying. The, yeah, I've, I've yeah. heard the colloquial. So the song yeah, is yeah, yeah. all dressed up with somewhere to go. So okay. it's what we put off. We put off our old. The old man of the flesh. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're crucified daily. We die daily is what Paul, uh, Paul teaches us. Right. And, uh, but then we put on the armor of God. We put on the mind of Christ. We put on tender mercy, loving compassions. We put that on. And uh, anyway, so we get all dressed up, and then we got somewhere to go. But I wrote a song. I'll have to do it for you sometime, Jason. But it's all dressed up with somewhere to go. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ken, again, thank you for yeah, joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I didn't know, I'm, and again, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be on here today. And, uh, yeah. and I really, you know, I lived in Norway, and it's just like Alaska. And they call Norway Except land. they have more Norwegians. Well, <laughs> but land of the midnight sun. And yeah. I, right, I lived right. there. For, my first two kids were born in Bergen, Norway. So anyway, yeah. I feel like I'm in Norway. Well, Oslo bit. is at the same latitude as Anchorage. Okay, there. So yeah. we, had a, we had a Norwegian exchange student when I was in high really? school. And he okay. was from Oslo. But Edgar Flink is snuck a new Norse. Uh, I'm good at speaking new Norwegian. I was going to say, Gesundheit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Glory. All right. <laughs> so you have been listening to the hour, a conservative hour of power and enlightenment salon, which has actually extended to two hours. So you got bonus content. I say we go three. <laughs> go three hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it may be that we have to expand our our uh, format here, but we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, we look forward to you joining us in the future. If you would like to sponsor the podcast, you can do so on Patreon. Uh, Patreon, rather, and we would enjoy and appreciate any uh, patronage that you feel compelled to provide. We'd like to continue to have uh, stimulating guests and excellent uh, entertainment opportunities. Your dollars help make that possible. And um, you can also come into the coffee shop, grab a cup of coffee. That helps support the the ongoing work that's being done here and uh, sign up for membership. Uh, two final announcements on the 28th. There will be a uh, political protest. We kind of our tagline for this show is a perpetual political protest in progress. So um, there will be a protest that's being organized to uh, send a message to the legislature that we want a law that protects us from uh, mandates, uh, not just vaccine mandates, but 
you know, we need to be minded towards uh, personal freedom and liberty. And any time that people start mandating things. Is Bob Bird part of that also? Yes, Bob Bird is part yeah, of that. Yeah, I like him. I, I really like yeah, him. Yeah, so, so um, there's that to look forward to. You can come by the shop to check that out. You can also come by the shop to sign the petition that Jennifer Eastman is circulating. Um, we appreciate her coming in earlier today. We appreciate April Orth coming in. I'm sure we'll hear from her again. And um, just encourage you. Uh, to be part of your com- community, um, put the Xbox down, the uh, Netflix <laughs> down, the um, Amazon Prime, the Disney Plus, whatever. You know, um, there are stimulating people in our community that want to have fellowship with you, and together we can make the best better. That's uh, something from my 4-H past. You know, slogan: Make the best better. And uh, like this podcast, we're learning by doing. So if you have any kind of uh, uh, feedback, we'd love to hear from you on that or any technical expertise to make the other two mics that we have here work properly with the hardware I purchased. We would appreciate that support as well. You've been listening to the Conservative Hour Power and Enlightenment Salon. Keep your powder dry.